0: And welcome to Glossonomia, conversations about the sounds of speech. Uh, I'm Eric Armstrong, and with me here today is Phil Thompson. Hey, Phil. Hey there. How you doing, Eric? I'm, I'm doing good. I, well, I have a bit of a cold, and I think you do too. Yes, it's a
1: strange confluence of events. I, my excuse is that I've just gotten back from a recruiting trip where I've been exposed to every germ known to man, mm. and uh, so... I'm, I'm on the mend, actually, so I probably only have that sort of DJ sound.
0: Uh, I, too, am on the mend, though. It seems to have moved down into my chest into kind of a cough, and coughing, you know, takes it out on your vocal folds, and so I, I too, have a bit of Barry White going on at the moment. <laughs> um, so if, if I grumble around a little bit too much, I'll do my best to try to pop things up into my head to Terrific. get away from that. So today we're back talking about a vowel, uh, well, yeah. a bunch of vowels, really. A uh,
1: vowel construct, yes. a continuum.
0: Yeah, that's a, perhaps a rainbow of vowels. Um, <laughs> you know that uh, we often talk about a vowel space, an area yeah. uh, of different possible articulations in the mouth. And this this week I think we're taking on probably the biggest chunk of the mouth that we've ever dealt with yeah. before and that's sitting in the back of the mouth uh, sounds that are articulated by the back of the tongue um, and that show up in a, a pretty broad range of, of word categories or what we might call lexical sets um, and uh, just to remind people if you're you're not a regular glossonomian uh, we go back and forth one week we do consonants the next week we do vowels and You know, in the last little while, we've been kind of focusing on a group of vowels, and we do those for a number of weeks. Then we do some consonants for one week, and then we're back to a bunch of vowels again. So uh, we suspect that this will be a three- or four-part series on this back vowel area. Uh, Who knows how long it's going to take us to get through them, but uh, certainly we don't intend to cover all of this stuff in one day. So uh, we will get to consonants again in a few weeks. I I think it's
1: worth saying that the the reason that we're doing these trifecta and, as you said a moment ago, tetrafecta uh, shows is that uh, we're dealing not only with the articulation, the specific sound that's being made, but the way in which, in English speech, the sound categories interact. And it gets very complex, and we can't really help but talk about them together because we're talking about the relationships between one sound and another perceptually.
0: Yeah, you know the the group of sounds these back vowels, if we we want to call them that, um, the the open back vowels in particular, because yeah. uh, back vowels include sounds all the way from oo uh, down to yeah. ah, and those oo uh, oh ones they're not so tricky. They're they're fairly easily defined, but when we get back into the the back corner of the vowel space, we uh, we have a little bit of trouble. I I particularly have to say that. When I started working on accents and dialects, I quite struggled with this because growing up in Canada, all of these lexical sets are merged into one big group, and we just use one vowel sound, ah, for all of them. Now, I suppose someone could call me a liar there. There are a few Hmm. words where things like an O-N-G ending, belong, where I might have a more rounded sound, at least growing up I did, uh, compared to... The sound I have in a word like father or lot or thought. Um, but uh, many people have a, a lot more variety. What about you, I, I, Phil? Did you have variety growing up in this area?
1: You know, I I, I come from an area which, if you look on the map, uh, Iowa City is on a border territory uh, between no distinction and some distinction, mm. according to the, the research, my perception is that the that I, if I return to my sort of native accent, I feel a tiny distinction, right. but that's a, an artifact of attention. That uh, as a child I probably wouldn't have reported a difference, mm. uh, and so the, there's a pretty strong merger, I'd say, in in my home accent. I, I think that part of the reason that we're doing this work with our students is, is not so much to get them to get the sound categories or to do them in the right way at all, but, but really to get them to understand the complex interrelationship between what they perceive and what they produce so that they can do the thing an actor does, which is imaginatively put together uh, a way of speaking that tells us about the character. And so it is very confusing for them. And I'd I'd say many of my students either have uh, a complete merger or a partial merger of these sounds or a realization of those sounds that's different from another class member. Mm -hmm. And it gets very, very confusing. It's fruitful confusion, though. Uh, I guess you could say their understanding is confused, fused fused together, Mm -hmm. and that we're trying to Diffuse it. We're trying to break it apart, uh, which is what we're going to try and do with with these episodes: is right. to break apart our understanding of how these sounds and their sound categories interrelate.
0: You know, in in my teaching, I've certainly taught in a, n- a number of different places in North America, and but uh, my teaching now in Toronto, most of my students are are people from Ontario, from that area of the country. We get occasional people, but the the fact of the matter is that Canadian accents are pretty homogenous. There are some pockets. Atlantic Canada is pretty different. But in Atlantic Canada, these sounds are all merged as well. So in this area of the sort of vowel spectrum, Canada is really homogenous. And so really we we don't get much uh, exposure to variety. Um, However, most of uh, my students have been exposed through the media to english accents uh to uh, you know a stereotypical new york accent so th- th- when they hear it they go oh oh okay i know it's what you that mean one yeah so that it, it though they they uh, they probably never moved their mouths in this way before and so that idea of hearing with their mouths it's a really new exploration yeah. for them uh, that they, they, or at least they have had some exposure to this idea.
1: It's interesting to note that that uh, I won't make the claim that Canada is universally anglophilic, but certainly our students have heard lots of wonderful English actors. And there's a, there's a strong merger between lot and cloth, lot and cloth. And so uh, the accents that make the most distinction in category here tend to be non-prestige accents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's an interesting thing to take our students through the process of saying there's something going on in this accent that neither your accent nor the prestige RP accent can really handle. Yeah, There's more information to, to be had.
0: Okay, so uh, let's talk about the this articulation thing, Phil. Uh, What's going on in our mouths so that we can make this range of sounds from perhaps, in some articulations, a very bright ah kind of sound all the way through a very open ah to a very rounded oh sound?
1: Well, I like the fact that, and this is obviously the correct terminology, I liked the setting it up first as back and open. Mm -hmm. And we can think of these two the X and Y axis of the vowel chart as being really helpful here, that that the tongue is cupped, your mouth is open. Some people associate this with jaw position, your jaw is open. That big ah sound that you yawn to make or that you show the doctor your tonsils with is down at the back. But we could make that cup. And just as a matter of mechanical exploration cup it forward and back. So, ah, uh, there's a little, there's a detectable acoustic effect, obviously, in whether the cup is further forward or further backward. Uh, we might be tempted to bring nasality into that, because that's an association, certainly in a lot of American accents. But if for the time being, we leave it out, I think, both of us are gonna to have to leave nasality out of it. <laughs> uh, so uh, the most cupped, the most back position is the ah sound, which I, I believe we've talked about before. Uh, the if I were to keep that same position but raise the tongue, ah I quickly reach a place where we're not in English phonemes anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why is that,
0: Phil? What what about those back vowels that's non-English?
1: Well, it it makes an organizational sense that in English, we tend to round our back vowels and spread our front vowels. And uh, there are plenty of other languages which do the reverse. Uh, We all... Languages are a limited subset of the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would say that we have the most distinction then between a front vowel, which we know will be spread, and a back vowel, which we know will be rounded. Now, the exception, one of the exceptions, is here at this back corner, and that is uh, that in English it's entirely possible to have a back-open unrounded vowel and a back open rounded vowel in the same accent. That that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a place where we don't make this dramatic distinction. For example, at the top of the chart, e and u are very similar in terms of closeness uh, and different in terms of frontness and backness, but also different in terms of roundness and unroundness. Uh, so that's a big distinction. Nobody's going to confuse E with OO. Uh, I suppose somebody could. Uh, so the thing left over then for us to toy with in this lower back area is degree of lip rounding. And uh, l- let me just make the low back AH as in father, for example, or uh, any number of words we've already done those episodes
0: the uh, the palm episode exactly. in particular right
1: and uh, so then if I just keep it there but move my lip corners forward let's try that uh, I'm desperately trying not to raise my tongue at all and I produce a sound ah 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 that sounds like an English sound I use that one quite a bit I think mm-hmm. Uh Now, if I were to move up the vowel chart, that is to say, let my tongue move more towards the midline, uh, the the up and down midline, uh, I would go, uh, let me keep it rounded. So I'll start unrounded. Ah. Now, as I go up in tongue position, I'm probably rounding my lips a little bit, but at least you can get a sense of the scale there. So... The natural, I hesitate to use this word, the natural effect is going to be as my tongue goes further up, it's going to get more round. That is to say my lips are going to get more round.
0: And I think that's partly a question of that as your jaw is likely to get closer to accompany your tongue rising, that as your your mouth gets more closed, then it's easier for lips to stretch forward, to round forward
1: makes a lot of sense, since the muscular action that's making the lip corners go forward is the contraction of the outside fibers of the uh, orbicularis horus muscle, and they're sort of squishing forward. Their purse string on the outside is pulling in tight. And if there's a greater distance to travel, because your jaw is open, they won't go as far forward. Now, it is absolutely true, and as people who teach theater speech, we're interested in this, you do not have to close your jaw as a part of this articulation. Having nice, wide, open jaws, you can see I used the judgmental term nice, uh, having <laughs> brilliantly open jaws is useful for actors because more of the sound gets out and the audiences can hear them, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Right. Better megaphone effect.
1: Exactly. So uh, it's possible to make clear distinctions uh, with the soft bits and keep the jaw open.
0: Okay. So, uh, l- let's see if we can... You know, sometimes I, I use this metaphor. I don't know if I've used it before on the show. Probably I have. Uh, I trot them out so frequently I never remember what I've said. Um, the the metaphor that I often have talking about these sort of uh, landmarks in our own speech, what I define as my ah uh, vowel, which is perhaps somewhat different from your um, vowel, is to me like a stepping stone across a stream. And uh, I've, I'm so familiar with where that stepping stone is, I can go to it blindfolded. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is that generally my assumption is that if uh, I've always walked this way over the stepping stones across the stream, that if I didn't take the route I, I've always taken, I would fall in the stream and drown. Um, the fact of the matter is there actually is no stream at all. It's a street. You could step anywhere, uh, yes. and you could make just about any sound. But that ingrained map that I have in my mouth, as it were, um, that defines where those steps should go, kind of defined a narrow space that's appropriate for that sound. And uh, the challenge, I think, is to allow yourself to... Embrace new possibilities. So, uh, generally speaking, when we talk about North American accents, we expect to hear a number of stepping stones, as it were, yeah. tra- traveling through this space. Um, some accents have four steps. Some have three. Some have two. Um, do you think you could have a go at sort of yeah what people would expect to be those steps?
1: Yeah. So, the... Um, our, I want to say just a word about this um, stepping stone. I think that's a great image. and uh, We go to automatic places, and that mm-hmm. is a useful thing for all aspects of our behavior because we can't be bothered to think about everything. We wouldn't get out of the house. Uh, and then it's a different sort of exploration to feel all the possibilities, and both are in- incredibly valuable. Uh, to do these slow thinking through, and then the sort of re-acknowledgement of what's automatic for us. It's automatic for a reason. We use it. uh, Back in the days when I took neurology courses, uh, it was made very clear to me that uh, learned physical actions are are taken care of separately, that uh, the feedback of careful, thoughtful movement is really mediated by a different part of the brain than hitting a baseball or any number of uh, physical actions that we've sort of patterned in, and right. surely the same thing's true of our speech. We we must speak automatically, or we wouldn't be able to handle it. But we're also capable of examining and manipulating the stream of of sound as well. All right, enough said. So. Uh, Let's take a look at these possibilities and I guess what I want to do uh, is avoid for now talking about them as lexical sets. Mm -hmm. uh, And simply make some sounds and see if they fit for you into these categories. So number one is ah. Ah. And uh, short or long, ah, ah. Next one is ah. That is to say, pretty much the same tongue position, lip corners forward.
0: Slight rounding.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next, if I'm really going for four here, is a little bit of tongue raising and maybe a little bit more rounding, ah, ah. And then I could go one step further up in this model. I'm not quite sure which accent really has all four of these. the next one up is or or so let's uh make up some sounds to go on either uh, side of this uh, G and p so at the very top gop
0: next
1: gop next gop Gop. next gop uh, I fronted that a little bit in order you did to a little. feel it different.
0: And, and, you know, sometimes I think when we're modeling for people, there's a tendency to want to front the unrounded version or perhaps the, the rounded version, well, depending on what your own background is, I think to, I, to make it more distinct, right?
1: I'm pretty sure I told this story in a previous episode, but I'll, I'll Oh, come and on. And do it again. Exactly. Maybe they missed that one. Yeah, they fell asleep during that part. So uh, I was working uh, with an actor in a show and uh, she was saying, "Doctor, and not and hot." And the director really didn't want that characterization. It, it made her seem younger, younger, more American, more girlish. And mm-hmm. the director wanted more gravitas. And so the director kept modeling back, uh, "Doctor, not really." As far as I could determine, making a sound that was not the sound that the director wanted, but a sound designed to knock the actor back onto course. And in my session with the actor, uh, there was a lot of confusion, justifiable confusion from a well-trained, knowledgeable actor about what sound I was really asking for, the sound that the director wanted, Uh, and what sound I was modeling, because these sounds get very, very confusing. The categories get confusing, and it's so easy. Uh, I'll tell you another story, and I'm I'm changing the names to protect the innocent. Uh, I was watching a video of a speech teacher modeling sounds, good sounds, bad sounds. And my daughter, considerably younger at that point, got a curious look and sort of wandered over and eventually said she's saying the same sound she's just frowning on the second one (laughs) (laughs) so uh, there is a bit of that, that there's a a bit of modeling our disdain or modeling our sense of glory so that we have to be a little careful I think to get the mechanics separate from the impression.
0: Yes, I, I, you know, I have to say, I, I, I feel for a, someone modeling for people where they're trying to model sounds that might be fairly new in their own mouth still. You know that mm-hmm. you're you're a new voice trainer and you're you're teaching speech and maybe it's not the most comfortable fit for you. You wouldn't pick your <laughs> make yourself a speech trainer if you if you had any choice in the matter. But we're glad to um, have you. New speech. Trainer. And uh, the uh, the. The terror, you know, I've seen people trying to, you know, they're trying to make this sound that isn't part of their own sort of sound vocabulary and uh, the anxiety they have in showing that. Um, You and I, we have, you know, decades of experience (laughs) of making these sounds. Which is why it's good Um, this is
1: not a video podcast. The, uh,
0: the, that, that, that it's ultimately it's back to those 10,000 hours Right, that's yeah. mentioned in that tipping point. Is it the tipping point? I think uh, that's outliers. outliers. Yes, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, that's the number, of, the number of times we've just made those sounds. And the more that, the more that we play, the, well, the better it will be. So, so I have advice,
1: um, by the way, for that, that young voice teacher or speech teacher. and, and that oh, is,
0: I'd love to hear this.
1: Don't worry and don't back yourself into a corner. As long as you're in the exploration, you're going to be providing a much richer experience and engaging your students in an act of curiosity. If you insist, uh, you're going to get caught out because all of our perceptions are fallible. And uh, what will happen if you're too rigid, if you don't allow for the possibility that there's something that you don't understand is that uh, your students will decide you're full of it and they'll they'll stop listening. So much better to say, I'm confused about this one. It sounds to me like that's nasalization, but let's record it and listen to it. Let's listen to somebody else say it. Let's try something else. And I'll go read an article in the meantime.
0: So much more productive to sort of say, let's play detectives together uh, rather than... Well, I have to be the expert because I'm the one who's being paid here. Um, You're not and, enough. Uh, <laughs> that to, together we can engage in in this. I bring something to you, and perhaps you can point up the errors that I've made in it. And in fact, uh, uh, when I was teaching speech for the first time, I I really realized when I made errors in the materials that are prepared for class that it was in the errors that my students learned more than in the moments where I was accurate. And so I started to pepper in errors Hmm. on purpose so that they had something to catch me at. Um, And they would listen more attentively because they could go, Ah, I caught you!
1: (laughs) I just Um, trust that I will make errors. So, So, terrific. Uh, we've, We've got a little bit of the mechanical lay of the land here. Uh, we're, we're separating openness and backness from condition of lip rounding. And then we're dialing in those two together. Uh,
0: yeah. I, yeah. I have a question for you, Phil. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a digression perhaps. Uh, but we, we talk about sort of moving into that back space from sort of an ah to an aw, ah, And then we round and close. Um, why is it that we don't round in the front when we get to ah uh, we we take ah uh, that open back sound mm-hmm. we move it forward to ah uh, sort of that area where we were talking um in the last trifecta yeah right that sound that sometimes is associated with bath uh that ah uh, sound why don't we round that well it's any idea it's
1: it makes perfect sense and if you look at the vowel chart and say, here are the factors that we have, and clearly it must be as easy to round the front most open as it is to round the back most open. Uh, in fact, that's a very rare sound. It exists on the chart, but the only place is in some particular branch of Austrian-German that that ah uh, sound, <laughs> let me see if I can create it, ah, 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 that it's doable, of course it feels... But not
0: very different from ah.
1: Exactly, that's the thing. So it feels uncomfortable to me because I don't make that sound. So that's not a measure. It's uncomfortable because it's new. So it's not a difficult sound to make in its heart. It is a difficult sound to distinguish from the... Uh, unrounded version
0: and or the or the more closed rounded version right exactly that uh sound isn't distinctively different from that fully open
1: and the Austrian version you could think of as just an allophone of the, a more closed version. I think it occurs in the same words that uh would would show up it's a it's an accent variation right, so it seems to me that we're getting more acoustic bang for our buck, lip rounding seems to do more at the back. Now, that makes a lot of sense because you're enclosing more space, mm. whereas at the front, you're cupping in the front, that's actually a shallower space, and the lip rounding doesn't enclose as much area. Uh, that That's armchair acoustics, but... Uh, it does seem to make sense. And we can observe it, that a little bit of lip rounding makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's also true that historically, and I'm trying to avoid going down a deep rabbit hole about history of sounds, that there has been a movement in some English sounds that started with an ah sound towards an ah pronunciation. And sort of vice versa, that there are... uh, words that were originally pronounced "aw" that have unrounded particularly in American English or or North American English. Um, So the drifting of sound categories to me means a small variation in pronunciation has produced the perception of a new sound. Uh, There may be plenty of variation in the way people pronounce other sounds, but it don't matter. It doesn't make it different enough that we even notice.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's put some symbols to these sounds. That'll help. Okay. So uh, back to where we started. That open back sound. Ah. um, There's a symbol for it uh, that looks sort of like a cursive letter A. uh, A script. uh, Script A, if you will. Um, And so it's sort of one story. It's essentially an ellipse with a little tail to the right. Um, And that that's different from that brighter forward ah sound that's represented by the type A sound some people use the term type A and then sometimes people just call that A Uh, and other people script A they differentiate it one from the other
1: yeah I think that um, Lajasar and Pullum do uh, type A and script A script A is a very useful phrase because I can't think of another way of describing it Uh, the round A.
0: Um, there's sort of two stories to the type A, where yeah. it's uh, one story, perhaps, to the yeah. uh, script A. Although they end up being uh, the same height. They do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have the, the, uh, the script A, and then when we round it but we don't close at all, the symbol is the same symbol rotated. Yeah. Through 180 degrees yes um and uh learning to draw that symbol often throws people for a bit of a loop yes um, uh, my advice is always to think of drawing the lowercase letter b but with a short stem
1: yeah i had a, a client i guess i should say a student uh, an actor uh call it the chubby b
0: chubby b which is a little yes.
1: peculiar it's it's that it's got such a big belly it's Its tail is short. Uh, But really, just thinking about it as that script A turned around is very helpful for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is a tendency in some transcription practices where people do the handwritten, like the Skinner handwritten thing, to really make a dramatic difference in terms of how round it is, uh, Mm -hmm. that it really looks like a a reversed C or an O that's, had a, a leg put on it on the one side. Uh, and right. it doesn't matter. In fact, we're sort of taken out of that problem now by having easy access to typefaces on computers, that there's a pretty standard symbol there that we can simply copy.
0: Yeah. I mean, e- even if you draw something that looks like a small cap D. Um, it's going to be distinct enough from the script A. And that's ultimately what matters, is that we can tell the difference from a script A. Exactly.
1: So that's the... Um, uh, I'll I'll take a little brief detour and say that uh, we're going to put that on our chart exactly the same openness as the script A. Ah, ah. However, because in various accents there is... There are differences in realization. You get a lot of people, for example, moving the position on the chart, putting that symbol to represent the phoneme, and putting it higher up on the chart. Uh, Right. And that's a potentially confusing practice that I think we might have mentioned before, but I I want to reiterate it here, that on the IPA chart, on the vowel chart, uh, we put these symbols at these cardinal positions, that these regularly ruled positions, and then when we're referring to them, we pronounce them at those locations to the best of our ability. Another way of thinking, and in that way, those symbols represent a particular articulation. Another way of thinking of the symbols, though, is phonemically, that they represent a sound category, and then you can put them somewhere on the chart that represents their pronunciation. So there is a sort of free-floating symbol Uh, mouth-shape kind of way of looking at it, and that can be incredibly confusing. Uh, We need to be really clear when working with students that we're saying this symbol represents this position or this symbol represents this category of sounds. And I would tend to call that latter one the phonemic use of the symbol. Uh, And the other, the previous one, the phonetic use of the symbol.
0: So basically to remind people we have two two ways of looking at language the phonetic process which is the science of the sound of language often dealing with acoustic or articulatory science about what's going on in your mouth mm-hmm. and then the other one is a phonological study where we're looking at the use of sounds in various different word categories and, so we're and the rules that govern how, which sound we choose to use based on things like spelling or the consonant that follows. And we've been um, and using... those rules are part of our thinking.
1: Exactly. And and the uh, we use lexical sets often to talk about that. But it really does feel to me like two intersecting modes of thought. And it's because the, there can be a conflict between them that it gets so confusing. And students in class... Uh, when I'm simply talking about the mechanics and the position and the symbol, still come to me with deep, deep confusion. And the reason is, if I've given them a symbol and a sound that doesn't fit into their category or way of thinking, they will continually drift back towards their way of thinking about it. And they'll look at their notes, and they'll say, I don't get the difference between lot and cloth. Those sound exactly the same. How can they be different? And the, the process of going through the mechanic exploration, the uh, finding of the sounds, that's, we mustn't ever undervalue that because you have to yes. make a detailed map before you can start putting your landmarks or figuring out where your landmarks are.
0: Indeed. Um, okay, so we've talked our way through two symbols yes. so far. The script A right? and the turned script uh, A. Turned script A. And so mm, we're going to move further up in the mouth. In other words, close the jaw a little bit, heading upwards on the back side of the chart, staying rounded, the corners of the lips are coming further forward, and we get to a symbol on the chart that looks like the letter C that's been flipped yeah. Uh Yeah, so that it's a backwards letter C. The name of this symbol in my world has always been Open O. Is that what you always Uh, call it? Yeah, I
1: I have a small phonetic symbol question. Is it a reversed C or a turned C? Uh, I believe that there may be like a difference in the serif at the top and the bottom.
0: It it is uh, it is reversed. It's not rotated. That uh, the What is the top of the C is the top of the C still. Good.
1: So, yeah, open O is useful because it has its phonological information as well because it's not related phonetically or phonemically to other C sorts of sounds. And so thinking about it as something happened to O is useful. Uh, So, yeah, I Mm -hmm. like open O, uh, even if typologically it's related to the symbol c
0: yes and that uh uh if you can for for my students who are often uh you know they they don't have anything like this out in their repertoire but they do have o in their repertoire that as a reference point is actually quite helpful uh, exactly we we sometimes talk about the symbols kind of uh colloquially uh using words to help you remember the sound in a way and sometimes we'll say that's the claw sound because yes. when i do it <laughs> i often use my hands to remind them what the sim- yeah. so i say the aw oh sound and i make my hand in this sort of claw-like shape it also and, tends to uh, feel
1: like what the back of your mouth the the shape of your mouth as well
0: yes oh so that, that there is a kind of a kinesthetic thing that I quite enjoy by making my hand into this C shape.
1: I have to um, tell you, and, and anybody who's listening to this who's a student of mine will uh, acknowledge this, I make shapes and sounds and dance my way through it because I really do feel that there's a sort of gestural parallel that mm-hmm. when you make a shape with your hand, I, I will often just in coaching situations... When people are having trouble, uh, let's say they're doing RP and the lip rounding sequence is throwing them off. They're having trouble getting a little rounded uh, sound in there. I will say make your hands into parentheses on that sound and do the gesture. So your whole body is saying, and now. It's like you said before, stepping onto the stepping stone. You have to build a shape but then approach that shape ballistically or gesturally. Uh, So I think it's very valuable, very useful, and it amuses our students. So it's a win-win.
0: And clearly it amuses us. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, The most important people. (laughs) Um, uh, I did have a fantasy at one time that I was going to invent some kind of IPA sign language. And I, I, I thought, well, you know, Maybe there's a, a no need to reinvent the wheel, and that I would try to contact the speech-language pathologists at a place like Gallaudet University, wow. which is for the blind, where they clearly are teaching people how to speak. For, um, wait a minute. No, Gallaudet's yes. for the deaf, right? Yes, and they use sign language. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I'm with you.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah, I get my foot out of my mouth here sooner or later. Um, And uh, uh, I figured that I would be able to ask them questions about sign language for IPA. And uh, apparently there have been people who have used it in the past, but um, I could not track them down. So, oh well, unlucky me. It's an interesting notion. Uh, But I bet it exists. I'm
1: sitting here in my office and I see that I have the Joe Estel. Flashcards, and uh, she has hand symbols for the various uh, v- vocal what does she call them compulsory figures
0: uh, right sort of a figure skating yeah, it's image.
1: useful to be able to physicalize uh, not just because you have a shorthand but also because I think that we relive when we do the gesture that there's something whole body about it there's a gestalt yes So we've covered our symbols, yes? We've Mm -hmm. talked about how they might vary. I suppose that we could go back to our uh, previous trifecta of vowels and say that there is the, as you mentioned before, the type A, uh, that we could imagine a pronunciation of... uh, of a lot word approaching that phonetic realization, lat. Yes, a lot. So we'll probably come back to that. So at least we can remember that that symbol's there. And we probably won't go any higher up the chart towards o, uh, uh, because that would be a pretty extreme realization of any of these uh, phonemes as well. So shall we talk briefly about the lexical set words and do the other yeah i
0: I just wanted to mention one other thing before we we leave articulation and that is that you know when we learn the symbols we do sort of i think there is a tendency to want to go okay well the symbols are going to map right onto those lexical sets and the thing that you were talking about when you were saying well sometimes you see a chart and the transcript a is mapped in a different place that that uh, the other thing that you and I use probably on a daily basis in our own practice as coaches is these diacritic symbols right. that allow us to talk about shadings that fit somehow between these uh, cardinal points. Um, because for some people, th- one lexical set will be right on where I expect that sort of mapping to go for a certain symbol. And then another lexical set will be, "Eh, it's not quite, it's sort of, eh, you know, I have to fudge it a little bit. And I do that with those diacritic marks.
1: Absolutely. I I think it's very worthwhile right now to talk about those diacritics. So uh, probably the most important to start with is the... uh, The less rounding, more rounding symbols. And if you put a little, uh, the way it's described in the font, in the Unicode font of Gentium or Karas, is half ring, uh, an open circle or a half of a circle really, uh, with the open point forward, that is to say, it looks like lips reaching forward, that's more rounded. And if the open part is pointing backwards, then that's less rounded.
0: Right. And all we have to remember is that to the left is front and to the right is back. Exactly, on all of our charts. That's a standard anatomical chart convention, right? The front is always on the left. Um, And when we look at that open O, it also reinforces it. A very rounded sound, it also is pointing to the left. Yeah. So if you're going to add more rounding to an open O, then you'd put a similar little tiny C underneath that open O. Uh,
1: when I was first learning uh, the IPA, uh, the there was a stronger practice at least, at least how I received it, of using a superscript W to indicate labialization. And mm-hmm. uh, that's an interesting way of doing it, and I've seen that before, but I have stopped doing that really as because this uh, more and less rounded symbol is so useful. I,
0: you know, I tend to save that superscript W for uh, adding on to consonants. Yeah, so, it's a
1: co-articulation yeah. symbol.
0: So if I was going to say something like 2 with a lot of lip rounding on the T, I would put T double, superscript W, and then the "oo" symbol. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we want to talk about how uh, how would you... In terms of the front and back variation, you know, the, sometimes sp- it seems like a big spread between that front ah in the front yeah. and the back ah in the back. What's going to go in the middle there? How would you mark that?
1: Back in the day, uh, whatever day that was, we had yeah. these wonderful little thumbtack symbols. Uh, basically, a set of perpendicular lines.
0: Uh, like little capital said- T's.
1: Yeah, exactly. With the point of the T or the point of the thumbtack pointing in the direction you wanted to say that the tongue position was moving. Yes. So you could use those uh, for up, down, front, and back. And I still really use them that way. Me too. However, the IPA, in its infinite wisdom, replaced the front and back thumbtacks. That They now use them to indicate... Uh, advanced and retac- retracted tongue root, Oy. and they now use a, a plus sign and a minus sign. Plus meaning advanced and minus meaning retracted. Right. And when we talk about advanced and retracted, we're talking about where the uh, point of focus is, where the cupping or arching is happening. So if I could do that with a, ah uh, uh, front, Ah, uh, If I go far enough forward, I will want to start using the front symbol, this type A, and talk about it being retracted. There's an overlap there. It's sort of an art form. It's what impression you want to leave in the reader's mind, whether they're thinking, oh, it's a very fronted ah, or it's a very backed ah. They overlap. Or raising or lowering... Uh, it, it's hard to do with that sound. It's much easier to hear a difference between, for example, some front vowels, whether they're raised or lowered. Yes. So you could use a plus or a minus uh, or a thumbtack if you want to be a rebel to front or back those sounds, and those go underneath the symbol. You could also, however, use a diaresis, an umlaut, over a symbol to indicate centralization. And by centralization, we really mean towards the midline of the chart. Uh, I always think of it as uh, the the chairlift for the ski slope. There are two little wheels above your head, and they roll you forward, or they roll (laughs) you back. (laughs) Whatever works. Uh, Now, there's also a mid-centralization symbol, which I know we've talked about before. And that basically means it moves towards schwa.
0: Right. The little x. That's actually
1: x. A pretty. Exactly. A little x above, x marks the spot, x is the crosshairs that takes you towards the middle. That, that makes it easy to remember. And I have to say, and we'll probably get into this later, that the ah sound is often centralized. Uh, constable. In, in many places in, in English speech, you'll hear some centralization, mid-centralization of sounds that I might do as ah. Right. So have I covered all those diacritics? We have lip rounding more and less. We have uh, advanced or retracted, raised or lowered, or centralized or mid-centralized. There's a lot of overlap in that. In fact, you have more diacritics than you need, and you can say precisely what you want to say. There comes a point where my students say, wait a minute, is this sound an advanced this or a retracted that? And I say, whatever, and that alarms and annoys them, really. Mm. But we're talking about a way of conveying our thoughts. The symbols have meaning, and they have meaning to people who are thinking. And so as long as we're saying it's kind of like this, the pr- people who are thinking can put it together.
0: You know, there are overtones, I think, that phonemic overtones sometimes when you're looking at a transcription. I agree. And when it's written a certain way, it reminds you of perhaps your everyday way of saying it, and the little diacritics cannot can give you very much information. And sometimes I find it helpful to use the, the symbol that seems very different from my own expectation of it. And the diacritic reminds me that it's, ad. Ah, don't go too far. Um, uh, but uh, the, the, to me, it's often helpful to go, okay, not, not, ah, uh, but more, ah, brighter than that. Okay, so I'm going to use that symbol, but I'm going to remind myself, don't, no, no, don't, don't go, don't overdo it. I think yes, that's a really,
1: I, that's worth reiterating. So what you've just said is that, in finding a transcription for a particular sound, you would rather use a different phonemic category, a symbol representing a, the next town over, yeah. and then remind everybody with the diacritic that it isn't, doesn't go completely that way. Right. As opposed to saying, let's take the expected phoneme, its normal realization, and nudge it towards something else. Uh-huh. And I absolutely agree, and that sort of matches what I'm sure is your coaching practice as well. That sometimes you have to say to a student, do me a fiver and lend me a fiver and really take it way beyond where the final realization is so that they break the shackles of their phonemic category.
0: Right. And And you know what we've done here is we've gone all the way back around to your director saying doctor.
1: Exactly right. Right? Exactly right. That's... uh, As much as the student was, as much as the actor was confused, the director was, was doing something that I do all the time.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong in sort of exaggerating a little in your modeling so that people get the difference. Um, And, uh, you know, I just did an exercise with my students where I I have them pair up and I I have them try to map uh, the difference of their articulation of all the lexical sets. And so they mm -hmm. sit... They're together going kit, kit, kit kit, kit kit, 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 kit <laughs> driving each other insane, I'm sure. <laughs> um uh and then they come in and they they show me their little map and they say, Well, I'm the little x and she's the little dot. And uh I say, Okay, do it. And they go back and forth and I go, Oh, hmm, interesting. I'm hearing more this or that. And uh of course, in the process I have to model for them what I hear. Yeah. And in order for them to hear very, very subtle difference, I have to exaggerate. I have to overdo. It's this version of ah is more ah like and your version of a ah is more aw like. And so in exactly the same way I'm I'm having to model sort of the fringes of the that possibility, the range of Of targets where they might hit, and they begin to hear, "Oh yes, okay, I see the similarity between my subtly different sound from my partner."
1: Yeah, I I really do think that that sort of uh, norming, I guess you could call it, that sort of uh, checking the territory is incredibly useful, and I think it becomes useful for actors in unconscious ways. Uh, I was working with an actress day before yesterday, and we had a very confusing conversation about the sound that I wanted her to do. She wasn't able to model it. Uh, She kept on coming up with descriptive terms that seemed to me entirely wrong. And then I saw her the next day, she did it beautifully, perfectly. (laughs) So somehow she found a way to go from the discussion into the doing it. And as an actor... All you really have to do is do it. Yeah. Uh, whatever system you need, I personally think the more complex your map is, the more aware you are of where you are, the better you'll be able to make those adjustments. But the final goal for acting training is to be able to do any sound.
0: Right. It's the old process product conversation, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. You know, if you can do it, great. <laughs> I don't ultimately need to know how you got there. If you can't do it, then we got to talk process. Um, yeah. And, and you
1: uh, need to, uh, as people who train actors, we need to send people out the door with a process yes. so that when they run into a problem, they, they can deal with it. I'm noticing, yes. by the way, problem, process, and so forth, how many of these words are in my normal conversation. Uh, so perhaps we could uh, just run through the lexical set words, and that may be enough for us for this particular
0: I think so. I think let, yeah. let's get get those words over with and, and talk about <laughs> similarities and differences. So, the first sound that we started with, that ah sound, is associated with the lexical set palm, yeah. and that's come up in previous trifecta episodes about uh, it. You know that problem of the letter L, its effect in certain speech, um, certain accents that changes it into a different lexical set. Um, so often words like father or, are brought up as another example of a word with an ah sound. Yes, um,
1: and that's the one that for, I think most everybody listening to this is going to be a pretty stable sound. If we say yes. father, they know what that is. Uh, yeah. For any South African listeners, maybe not, but, or Irish listeners, maybe not, but it's pretty stable.
0: It is f- fairly stable, yeah. Compared to the you know the o and e corners of the vowel chart, it's not quite as stable, but it's pretty stable. Um, so, moving away from that sound, mm-hmm. we move to a lexical set of words that are well. What they have in common with each other, primarily, the largest number of them is that they're all spelt with the so-called short o. Uh, words like lot, the name of the lexical set group. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many accents, these have an, an open quality with a little smidge of rounding to them.
1: Yeah. Th- there are certainly accents in which lat is realized completely unrounded and fronted and maybe even nasalized. But yes. <clears throat> this uh, for some of us, th- this category and the next category are entirely merged. Uh, but for people who make a distinction the distinction is often about that rounding. And so lot, you could say lot and palm are merged. Right.
0: Um, so in some groups, we have lot and palm merged, and in other groups, we have separation of palm and lot. Um, yeah. The third group, I guess we should go with the biggie, uh, would be thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that yes. feels
1: like skipping around to me, but I know exactly why you've gone there. Uh,
0: so so I, we, we are sort of skipping a step in a way by jumping to thought. Here, let me uh, pull,
1: pull us back one step because you sure. said that lot was uh, spelled with O. And the one exception to that is uh, when there's a W uh, or, a, or a Q-U. Uh, so words like quality and wasp and watch are categorized in the lot set. Right. Uh, And some of my reading about the history of these sounds made the interesting distinction that uh, W-A words followed by a velar move towards A. So we get whack and wax, uh, but watch uh, and wasp. Uh, So for some reason, the final consonant made a division between these two categories of words, but the the W turned those A's into O's, is a weird way of putting it. Uh, so, quality, wasp, watch.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I do think that there is a rounded quality to yeah. the W wh- sound and also a backing, right? And so if you yeah. take an AH sound and you add the roundedness of W, it might affect that vowel and into a more rounded version if, if the Lot lexical set for you is rounded. Correct. Yes?
1: So let's now get back on the horse and go to Thought. And I totally understand why you uh, want to go there because we're going to work our well, way Well, for,
0: for so many, uh, Thought is sort of uh, the third big group, yeah, that yeah. Uh, many have Lot merged with another group and so it seems like a very large group and Thought is is... in in so many accents, the sort of the third big group, and most distinct from the other two. um, Frequently, people will separate palm and thought from lot by uh, not only an articulation difference, but also a difference of length. Um, And that lot is part of the uh, group of words um, that are checked vowels. That is, that it doesn't exist... Without a consonant at the end of it, whereas the thought lexical set and the palm lexical set both have this possibility of of being uh, free. In other words, existing without a consonant at the end. So we might have a word like law, and Mm -hmm. we might have a word like ma or bra, uh, but we're not likely to have a word like pa. Um, And typically. uh, people like you and I, Phil, we tend to model that lot lexical set sound as a short vowel. Yeah, um, and frequently you'll we hear someone it. go "oh" and and <laughs> demonstrate it with a, a really brief kind of sound, yeah. because the lot lexical set is generally short.
1: Yes, so it's it's short and it's checked, and those two things are related. That we don't yes. expect to see it without a consonant after it, and we expect it, therefore, to be a bit shorter.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Of course, um, mechanically, we can always make any of these sounds as long as we have air. Right. Uh, yes. So so thought, I think the word thought is a great one because it's a good old English sound. It's And it has a, a spelling that is pretty common for these words, sort of... O's and A's that have another rounded sound after them. Uh, so the diphthong might look like A, uh, U. Uh, and historically, they, they were pronounced Thaucht. Uh, right. Or in this case, Tho, Thoucht. I was looking it up and apparently it had a rounded beginning and a rounded end in that diphthong. But essentially, the diphthong sort of got subsumed into the general rounding of all. And I'm trying to think. I've got the book here, and I'm trying to see if any words are simply A or O with no following U or W. And I'm not seeing a 1 or an L. That's the other one. So a L, a U, or a W is very likely to be all and those seem to be the only three possibilities for spelling leading to these sounds right so for me going back to our sort of upbringing and mergers i i think that i certainly knew people who had a very close to a near merger of lot and thought hmm. they're very similar Law and thought but I those think,
0: were distinct from palm. Y-
1: Uh yes, exactly now, whether I have e- uh, expanded that or enhanced that, uh, what drama school did to me, I'm not sure, uh, but I totally hear it in my own speech. It's subtle, but it's there. and would you say too that for you those were those categories are distinct?
0: They are now, yes. Yeah. I taught myself to have distinct um, thought words. Um, you know, I think that there are occasions when I lose them and they go back to being palm. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of a lot of the time, I'll have a a rounded.
1: These sounds very a sort of psychological load. They have character in them. We make assumptions about people. Mm. Uh, If you start the play, I thought the Duke had more affected the Duke of Albany, then we know where we are and who we are in a a perfectly useful way. Uh, If you say, I thought the king had more, even if you don't realize it in a fully British way, you are saying something about uh, what kind of world it is. I want to make a very clear distinction that that does not mean that there's a single correct or beautiful way that one should realize that, just that we should be aware of how subtle differences have an effect on the vocal characterization. And yes. we should make that decision for every single
0: production. Yes. People people make assumptions about what kind of person you are about the way you speak. And yeah. if you speak a certain way, then... You're defining who you are, um, and that's good and bad, or neither. <laughs> or neither. Uh,
1: <laughs> so let's go back. We, we left one lexical set category uh, out of this, uh, yes. and that, of course, is cloth. Uh, it's
0: Of course it is. <laughs> of
1: course it's cloth. Uh, so let me say them, and I'll see if I can say the three of them in the way that in the way that i said them growing up there's lot cloth and thought <laughs> i think that lot and that cloth and thought are almost completely merged and any okay. distinction is really my later addition to it it's the drama school effect
0: so what what i'm hearing is a a merger of palm and lot exact and a merger of cloth and thought
1: exactly i think that, and that makes sense with the the maps that I look at, uh, right. there's a line through Iowa City. And, uh, and I seem to be on the western side of that distinction.
0: And I think, I guess it t- we need to take a moment here and sort of say, cloth is one of these... Um, I think of it as one of those relatives who always shows up at somebody (laughs) else's place for Christmas. That he doesn't actually have a place of his own for Christmas. He's always either over at Thought's place or he's over at Lot's place. He's never on his own. Uh, He's the he's the youngest son who never took care of you know God is he's he's single still and he's forty living in the basement Um, in a loft. (laughs) <laughs> that it's very rare. I, I I can't I cannot personally think of an accent where cloth is distinct from lot and thought. Can yeah.
1: you? No. I did an experiment with my students recently, asking them to make a distinction in a passage of speech between those three. Not because I thought it would be particularly good, or <laughs> because I thought it would be super <laughs> fancy, uh, but because I wanted to. Drive home these distinctions for them. I wanted them right. to always be thinking: Is this? How am I realizing this cloth word? Where does it fit in this mix? And finally, I think that nobody's going to. It's it's an unnecessary distinction, and I and I don't think there's any uh, natural accent that makes that distinction. Uh, palm lot. Cloth, thought, you could do it.
0: You, you could, you could. I mean, you could do something really bizarre and go sort of palm lot cloth, and then thought, <laughs> and have it completely stick out like a sore thumb. But yeah, there is no, something. There's no accents like that. The way it's that sort of making up your own accent, like Martin Short doing, <laughs> Franck, right in Father of the Bride.
1: Exactly. I mean, we distinction is useful. And uh, there's an impulse that makes us want to say, let's divide up that corner of the chart so that we're really clear that there's distinction. We want to speak with distinction. Uh, We want to distinguish this sound from that sound. That's a virtue. I I am all on board with distinction. However, uh, oftentimes you have a distinction without a difference, and that you Mm -hmm. can... It's also true that oftentimes people who are looking, who claim distinction as their goal, uh, don't make a distinction in some sounds. Uh, So it's more distinct to say "lat" and "cloth" than "lot" and "cloth." Uh, And we could say RP is such a mush-mouthed accent. You know, they don't make a distinction between "lat" and "cloth," so. We should prefer, we should all speak with a New York City accent because it's more clear.
0: Yeah. No one's going to confuse those those two (laughs) sounds.
1: So distinction is certainly a virtue, but it's not the only virtue.
0: Yes. Right. Prestige is often about um, a a definition of prestige that's well established. Um, Yes. It's a history lesson in a way. Yes. Um, okay, so, uh, we've got these, uh, four lexical sets, and cloth, the one who moves around, but the fact of the matter is that we could have all four of them merged together. Mm -hmm. Uh, we could have, uh, we could have two and two, like you did growing up. Yeah. Uh, we could have one and three, uh, so palm, distinct from, uh, a a merger of lot, cloth, and thought. Mm hmm Um, we could have thought distinct from a merger of palm palm lot and cloth. Yeah. Right? And that that's sort of the way it typically goes. And in North America, most regional accents of of North American speech are either one big group or two groups. That's true, is it I not true. So? I mean true. looking at the Atlas of North American English, they tend to say there's it tends to be split into two groups.
1: Even a even a group like, we'll we'll probably talk about Boston in a future episode, that a, a group where the, the definition of belonging to the cloth camp can be a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, are you going to pronounce this as though it were cloth or as though it were lot? They're still making only two categories there.
0: Yes. Right. The, uh, the merged with thought group and the merged with lot. Correct.
1: And so we could always think about cloth as variable, as you've said. And and really, as we've said, there's no need for more distinction than that. Uh, right. It is, however, the very thing that gets people confused. So that if I have a student from Minnesota and a student from uh, Dorchester they're going to get very, very confused about how... They won't think I'm talking about the same sound. Right. And uh, so it can be very complicated, but it's really useful to lay out the grid.
0: Okay. Now let's go back to this cloth group because we. Yeah. I don't think we've defined spelling and yeah. What? what how, how to predict it. Because frankly, uh, uy, uh, it's the one lexical set that I like least. To be honest with you, I have the hardest time remembering uh what what it is partly because there's so few accents where I f- need to differentiate um cloth probably uh, the easiest from way lot.
1: to define it is to say historically o spelling followed by an unvoiced fricative, although followed by a nasal it also brings things into the cloth category so Uh, If I look here at the list uh, from J.C. Wells, we have off, cough, broth, cross, croft, soften. So those are unvoiced fricatives following an O. Uh, Yes. Cough has a U and a GH, so (laughs) cut me some (laughs) slack. Uh, Now, there are also moth, boss, coffee, those actually uh, sometimes leave the camp of cloth, so we won't get into that today. Then there's another set that Wells includes, which really hurts my brain, which is those sounds that are followed by an R, but that are still phonetically short. And those Mm -hmm. are origin, Oregon, oratory, orange, authority, for me, those are entirely merged with North Force. The, so I'm right. alarmed to see them in this category. However, absolutely, even in American accents, in rhotic accents, uh, horrible is different yeah. than whore.
0: Right. For, but in Canada, horrible and whore are the same. Exactly. Sorry and sorrow. <laughs> yes. Boro. Uh, are or all with North. Floor so we-
1: and uh, Florida. Uh, right. So
0: Florida orange juice. Yeah. Right?
1: And so, for me, uh, uh, yeah, I, the first time I heard uh, Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now saying the hara, the hara, it really struck my ear as a peculiar sound. And, mm. in fact, we have a decision to make in... Uh, uh, th- that Edith Skinner makes and that anybody making decisions about how we ought to pronounce things, yes. uh, if our goals are to be American and to be clear, that hasn't solved our problem yet, because we still both of them are American and both of them are clear. Uh, right. I suspect that the the more East Coast version of orange and Florida which I believe Skinner prefers
0: She does, yes
1: So uh, th- there's one advantage and that is that it uh, is East Coast Upper crusty. It has a certain cultural load to it
0: but well, historically, I suppose, yes. though that it's getting it's getting awfully dusty. I, um, it, it seems like so many well, people don't really associate with that crusty old.
1: That's the flaw in making absolute mm-hmm. judgments about what's in and what's out, uh, because history changes. It keeps going. Mm-hmm. However, yes. the the thing that I think that is gained by that, and I don't choose it myself, but is that it it banishes the roticity into the next syllable.
0: So you get orange,
1: Florida, and you don't get orange, Florida. Uh, You get horror story rather than horror story. And for people with really strong roticity, you can get really caught up in, in the R. And by adopting this pronunciation, you sort of separate them. Uh,
0: yes, though you know you can learn to say horror with an abrupt R if you yeah, want absolutely. more distinction there. Um, you know, there's always the story of the Scottish play, right? Oh horror, 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 <laughs> horror, as opposed to oh hor 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 hor. Uh, and uh, uh, to the the benefit of horror, 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 is no one's going to think you're they're talking about five prostitutes in the room with Duncan, um, and so.
1: It seems to me that, well, well, the choice that I take is that I want my students to be able to do all of those possibilities.
0: I agree.
1: And I will tell you that 99% of them will decide that horror, horror, horror is the one that is most American and avoids the problem. And that horror, horror, horror sounds l- l- like New York City, for example.
0: It does. It sounds regional now, yeah. doesn't it?
1: Uh, uh, I believe that we have traveled the territory both phonetically, symbologically, and lexical (laughs) (laughs) settily. And we should probably avoid diving into interest conversations uh, until we come back for the next one. I want to ask a question which I should have actually prepped for. Uh, We we got several things from Eric Singer uh, about... uh, Interesting things he had noted, and we plan on addressing those in a later episode. But wasn't there a correction that he gave us that we had made an error?
0: Oh, I'm sure we did, and we make errors all the time. So. <laughs> well,
1: exactly. Um, it's it's a game you can play at home. Find the error. So the first thing I want to say is thank you so much, Eric, for doing that. Uh, we, as we said earlier in this very podcast, uh, we like errors. We, we really, really, really don't expect people to simply take us as absolute authorities, or authorities, if you like. Uh, that would be, that's a frightening prospect. What I hope is that our conversations will uh, get you thinking, they'll, they'll put perhaps a context in place that you can then go and do some research. Uh, I would recommend J.C. Wells' phonetics blog, and frankly, for the most part, I would recommend Wikipedia's uh, linguistics entries. They tend to be really complete.
0: Yeah, I, I, I have to say I'm really very pleased with how Wikipedia has managed to not get derailed in this area. Indeed. Yeah, it's difficult.
1: I mean, you'll find occasional strangenesses, but uh, I don't know, I guess the linguists like it there and they, <laughs> they contribute.
0: And I feel like the linguists have made an effort to, you know, get, get in there and get some accurate yeah. stuff so that their area is well represented, so that it's not taken over by people who are making stuff up. Um,
1: okay. So. Do we have anything else we need to say? I so, don't think so. We
0: need, we need to. You know, we need to remind people how to reach us if they yes. want to. Uh, glossonomia at gmail.com. Um, and next week we'll continue on our ride with this, probably digging into lot and cloth a little bit I deeper. I think so. Uh, good. So thank you, Phil. Thank you, Eric. It's always a pleasure, even when we have colds. Even that. Let's go blow our noses <laughs> and have a great week. All right. Week. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.